Hello and welcome to How Would You Rate Your Pain? We will be exploring life, loss, love, and the power of resilience. I am Dr. Tiffany Bartell. Thank you for listening and I can't wait to go on this journey with you. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of How Would You Rate Your Pain? The podcast that explores life, loss, love, and the power of resilience. I am Dr. Tiffany Bartell, a licensed therapist and your host. Today we will be talking about living with a chronic medical condition. Chronic disease is defined as physical health condition lasting more than one year and causing functional limitations or requiring ongoing monitoring and treatment. It's estimated that 133 million Americans live with one or more chronic illnesses. And many of these chronic illnesses are invisible to others, but so impactful on the individual who has it. I do want to share a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional, and our guests today are sharing their understanding of their condition and their own experience with it. Here to talk to us today about living with a heart condition are two of my favorite people, Lou and Denny. Denny, tell us about yourself. Okay, well, I'm a first year at uh, Brooklyn College in New York, studying film, and uh, actually, you're my mom. Yes, I am. You're you're actually my oldest. I am your oldest. Yes, I, I remember love. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember it better than you do. But <laughs> yes, <right>. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. So glad to have you here. And how about you, Lou? Oh, hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Um, well, yeah, I'm Lou. Um, I'm a social worker at heart. Um, I love the creative arts. Oh, that rhymed um, as well. And um, yeah, like you said, I'm living with a chronic heart condition, but still finding joy in it, too. I love that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that might be a good place to start is maybe each of you can just share what your condition is from your understanding of it. Of course, doesn't have to be the, the medical um, dictionary definition. Um, but Lou, what is your diagnosis? Yes. Yeah, so I have microvascular dysfunction or disease, but they like to go towards dysfunction and it's what they consider unobstructed. So that means that um, the microvessels around my heart, <clears throat> instead of opening up when like my heart rate gets up, you know, I'm exercising and things like that to allow oxygenated blood to flow in and out. Um, Instead, they do the opposite. They want to like kind of shut down spasm and such and kind of shunt off that kind of uh, oxygenated blood going in and out. But they call it unobstructed because it's not due to plaque in the arteries or anything like that. It's congenital. It kind of popped up out of nowhere. And it's one of those things that are still being researched because they're finding it pop up little by little. It's pretty hard to diagnose sometimes. But yeah, I have MVD unobstructed. Yeah, MVD. Okay. How about you, Denny? You my two diagnosis. It's a long name. You can use yeah. you can use some notes. Okay, so I have postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and it's POTS for short, which is really uh, tricky to Google because it comes up with pots and pans, um, <laughs> pot, it's not what you're looking for, but um, basically it's a type of dysautonomia that affects your autonomic nervous system, which is your fight or flight. So it affects your entire body and it kickstarts your, your adrenaline. And so out of the blue, your body's just telling you that you're in danger. So all those systems that you don't, 
you know, need to run or survive, those shut down. So like your digestive system, um, your heart's racing, your muscles contract, and that can lead to a lot of like chronic pain and, um, you know, stomach issues. And then that level of tachycardia can um, have other issues like dizziness and fainting for a lot of people, like constant fainting, just like stand up, boop, tip over. And um, it can just really get in the way of things. <laughs> kind of just passing out all over the place mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so if you um the way i think that it's been explained to us is that changes in posture right are a lot of when people experience that tachycardia or racing heart and um i think you know just being your mom and going you know through this journey with you um on the sidelines of course you were the one in it um what kind of seemed to happen a lot when you'd have an episode is that like all of your autonomic systems would just kind of go on the fritz yeah, and and all at the same time. And so um, that can be really scary. So you hit some of the symptoms, um, you know, that dizziness and fainting. What other symptoms um, are common with POTS? Um, Well, I think I mentioned muscle fatigue, but also, you know, a lot of headaches because um, your eyes dilate and so it lets in a lot more light. And so if you're having an episode, you can get headaches from light and light sensitivity. Um, let's see, you know, a lot of nausea, mm-hmm. um, you know, vomiting, uh, shortness of breath. Um, yeah, I I think I mentioned them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think you did great. Yeah, so it, I think that the thing that surprised me the most um, with your condition was the GI issues. Yeah. It just seemed like your body would just like, no you food. Know, not let anything come in and stay in yeah. and um and i think that could be really scary when your heart's racing at the same time when you feel like you're going to pass out and then all of a sudden your no stomach food. is not you know being friendly yeah yeah absolutely how about you lou what are some some common symptoms or symptoms that you've experienced with your condition funny enough a lot of my symptoms are very similar to um denny's we do have some places where we divert but of course like the dizziness um fatigue especially if i do get my heart rate um relatively high so i'm gonna say high for me so high for me is like 135. That is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. But 135 is some people's like what? uh, A light jog, maybe like a brisk walk or something. So 135, um, that's when I start feeling a little bit of dizziness, chest pain, um, muscles clenching, especially like I would say my jaw. Mm. um, And then uh, was it down my left arm? I'll start feeling some of that. Um, Muscle pain, headaches, I'm guessing because of the uh, muscle pain. Yeah. Um, Nausea. And if I do push it a little too much, that's when I'll start the onset of what feels like I'm going to pass out. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about graying out of the vision. Oh, wow. um, Kind of like that whooshing sound in the the ear. Uh huh. That's what that is. I think that's what I heard. Okay, you know, thank you. Blood rushing to your head. I don't know. <laughs> thank you, because I've not actually passed out. I think there was one episode where I was at a meeting, and because sometimes high stress can mm. also trigger some of those symptoms, but mm-hmm. um, I was in a meeting, and I guess like I zoned out, and they thought I'd passed out, oh, but I mean, I was very much so. 
I never like fell out or anything like that. So I do remember those symptoms. Mm-hmm. So and then heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. So I'll just mm-hmm. get heart palpitations like through the day, maybe some spells of vertigo um, as well. But I would say similar to Denny, along with that shortness of breath, chest pain and such, just because my little ticker is just trying to work and really pump out more blood or just more oxygen. And so it doesn't want to. Yeah. So like, yeah, it causes a little bit of pain and a little tug of war. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like for both of you, these are symptoms that can just pop up during the day mm-hmm. at times oh, yeah. that's unexpected. It's mm-hmm. not always like, you know, something you're like, okay, if I do this, then I'm going to feel that way. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I know to expect it if I'm doing like um, physical activities, which okay. part of my, you know, introducing Lou, I, I love the creative arts. And one of those things is, you know, dance and such. Mm. And so that um, I always have to monitor myself with that one. So I can kind of expect it, keep it at the back of my mind, like, be careful, you know, your. um you know when you're approaching the yellow and then you know when you are dangerously (laughs) dancing pun intended in the red (laughs) yeah um but yeah like you said like during the day there might be times where i'm just driving and i'll just get like i don't know a series of heart flutters or palpitation or Mm -hmm. i might be in a meeting in the world just kind of tilts to the side and that part is not that that part is not as fun just because you don't know when it, why it happened where it came from um so yeah i would say that yeah absolutely do you feel comfortable if i share like my first experience with oh my you? goodness yes is that okay yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah so so we were um we were actually out i think it was summertime and we mm-hmm. went to get ice cream um, in the middle of the day, like two silly adult grown women. Oh, we did a we brunch first. Did, did we eat first? We did. Like, like, okay. We were adults. Okay, yeah, okay we were good. Because I just remember the ice cream. And I'm like, why did we just get ice cream? <laughs> but um, we, we ended up talking a lot longer than we had meant to um, outside. And I just kind of noticed you like melting a little bit and looking just a little bit not yourself. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I've been around Denny enough, and um, I can kind of tell when someone's going to pass out. <laughs> and 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 I'm so grateful that you were open and shared, you know, what was going on with you, and we were able to kind of, you know, revive you. But um, but it was really interesting, you know, like you said, just watching it from the outside, and it really mm-hmm. can come on so quickly. And um, just kind of surprise you in the middle of a really relaxing day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember that day, like, just clear. Um, And I remember before you'd said something, I remember feeling a little weird maybe 15, 20 minutes before. And at that time, I hadn't told Tiff that I had this condition because I tend to be pretty secretive about it. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll get into that a little later in the podcast. But I was kind of secretive about it. But then I don't know if you said... I think you said, like, Lou, are you okay? And that's when I kind of minimized it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just feeling a little, like, lightheaded. Maybe I'm a little thirsty. And then out tumbled, you know, <laughs> I do have a little heart condition. And so if you were like, are you potsy? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't have potsy. And then from there, Mama Bear took over. My good friend popped in. She's like, yeah, we're going inside. We're getting water. And instant, like, I think it was, like, maybe five minutes later, I was pretty much back yeah, to normal. Maybe yeah. a little zapped out. But back yeah. to normal. But like you said, I felt like inside. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna pass out on my brunch <laughs> yeah. date with my friend that doesn't know. <laughs> well, and and I should tell the listeners, you know, um, I'm 
almost five feet tall. I'm, I'm just under five feet tall. And I like to think I'm very strong. Yeah. But my yeah. dear friend Lou, how tall are you, Lou? I am five, ten and a half, and that's when I don't wear heels. Where I, I wear heels often, and I think that Sunday I was wearing a cute pair. Yeah, you were. So I was like in that six, six one life, yeah. you know, yeah. living. Yeah. So I, I remember having this calculated thought of like, um, first of all, I recognize something's going on and, and I don't, I wonder what's, you know, if she's okay and what I could do to help. The second thought was, I don't think I can carry this girl. Like, I'm going to have to drag her um, somewhere unless I can, we can figure out what's going on while she's still like coherent and, and ambulatory. Um, so, so that's um, maybe a good segue into my next question is, you know, for both of you, and we'll start with you, Denny, uh, when did you realize that there was something wrong? Because um, I think for both of you, this isn't something that you, you know, knew from a young age or was diagnosed at birth. Um, so, so what was that journey like for you, Denny? Um, well, I don't think it was on my radar, really. Um, you know, in, in middle school, I remember they had us doing like laps with like heart monitors Mm -hmm. on and i remember it was always really really easy for me to get my heart rate where they wanted it i could just jog Mm -hmm. around and i'd be you know in the red and my friends would be like that's that's not normal and i'd be like i'm fine (laughs) my face turning red and i'm like seeing spots and it's like no this is good this is easy and then i would like they'd be like stand still and I'd stand still and I'd still, my heart rate would still stay up there. So my coach didn't know what to do with me. But I <laughs> I didn't start really thinking anything was wrong until I um, I got this vaccine. Uh, which one was it, mommy? I think it was your second meningococcal That's vaccination. Yeah. yeah, and after I got it, I remember feeling really funny. And then I got back to class and I got all these like heart palpitations, really, really, really dizzy. Um, I actually started laughing hysterically, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. confusing to my friends. Um, but yeah, and, and they were like, oh, it's an anxiety attack. It's a panic attack. And I was like, but I wasn't nervous about anything. I already had my shot. I was fine. And um, we should mention that Denny does not like needles. I really, really hate needles. Oh my gosh, me too. Okay. Soul sisters. <laughs> Which makes you guys like really difficult patients. But continue. Well, <laughs> continue yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, I hated needles before. Now I really hate them after that. But um, after that, the, the symptoms, they didn't really go away. I would mm-hmm. just get these like heart palpitation spells just while I was sitting or really dizzy. And uh, after a while, uh, you guys were like, okay, we're going to go to the doctor. And they're like, anxiety. It's anxiety. And you guys were like, it's not anxiety. And I was like, it doesn't feel like anxiety, but I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor. So, (laughs) so, but eventually we did get to the cardiologist and they were able to straighten it out, but it took, um, it was a long road. It was a long road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it felt really long because it was in the middle of school and, Mm -hmm. you know, being a high school student and all that. I remember the scariest thing, you know, two scary points, you know, as a parent, um, one was you were playing in that jazz concert <laughs> and you were playing the drums and you hadn't been feeling like yourself. Um, yeah. so we actually had your drum teacher as a backup. He's so great. And, um, I just was watching you play and then all of a sudden you just kind of like went over to the side (laughs) and just were like draped over one of the drums. And, um, I think I had to kind of like partially carry you, um, to the side. And I think the other really scary time was when we knew what you had, 
um, none of the medicine was working, nothing was really helping, and we had to pull you out of school at that point. Um, and I think you lost 20 pounds in two weeks. And just because we couldn't, you kept having these episodes, you couldn't keep food in, and um, yes. and we were basically just like carrying you around the house. And yeah, and I think I it's couldn't a go to the bathroom. That I was really scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were just crying in a corner because I couldn't oh, keep food. And remember that time you guys yeah. came home and I was oh. like, I can't eat anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think it was like a really um, condensed amount mm-hmm. of time over probably your sophomore year mm-hmm. where things just really popped up. Yeah. How about you, Lou? When did you realize that something was wrong? Um, you know, after listening to what Danny was saying, I'm wondering if I actually started feeling it when I was a little younger. Mm. But um, for sure, I would say 22. Um, I was trying to, you know, continue staying active and fit. And my friend was like, let's go exercise. And I do remember I wasn't able to really keep up as much, um, but I would just keep pushing. But I do remember distinctly, I was in grad school and she said, let's go for a run or a jog. P.S. Who likes running? Why? (laughs) Why do we do these things? (laughs) Why? Um, But yeah, she said, let's go for a run. And I remember I couldn't make, I couldn't make it past like I want to say 50 paces, which I know sounds like an exaggeration, but I remember it was such a short period of time and instantly I started feeling like for the first time chest pain. I couldn't breathe. I started feeling pain down my left Mm. arm. Mm. And then again, like the, the graying out of my vision. I remember I went back to my apartment and I laid down just to kind of recover, recover. And I think I fell asleep. I just knocked out because wow. I was so exhausted. And I was pretty tuckered out the rest of the day. Um, during that year, um, the grad school and such, I remember several times trying to work out. Um, that was during the time where um, P90X. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Blast from the past. I yes. know. I'm aging myself. But, you know, proud in my 30s, girl. Um, but yeah, P90X had come out. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get ripped. Let's go. And no, it ripped me apart. Um, but I again, I tried like maybe I got maybe five, ten minutes into the video. And again, my roommate came in. She's like, why are you on the floor? And I'm just like, P90X tried to kill me. Oh, my God. What I discovered was just we like. We are uh, not um, slandering or defaming P90X or anybody who participates in it. <laughs> that is for true. the record. P90X yes. is amazing. I have seen it yield amazing results. Hence if you why. have a heart condition, maybe consult your <laughs> maybe physician Please before you. participating in any <laughs> exercise program as at a, all. As a matter of fact, I think that is a disclaimer. Yeah. That's there. Yeah. And then I listened to the disclaimer. After I almost passed out. (laughs) Yeah. And that was what triggered it because she found me home and I was just like, girl, I'm just out of shape. And eventually I did set up an appointment with my primary care physician in the area that I was attending grad school, referred me to um, a cardiologist who was just like, hmm, I think that this is just a little bit more than you being out of shape. You're young, you're healthy, um, something might be off. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, mind you, they did throw out the anxiety word, which 
as we go through the um, <laughs> this conversation, that will be part of the journey. Um, but well, and it's not mutually exclusive, right? It's not, you know, right. Yeah, when you feel like your whole body is on the fritz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very anxious. They wanted to explore that as well. And I said, well, this doesn't feel like anxiety. But, you know, they did say, keep in mind, you are in grad school. You are doing all of these things. You're, you know, high achieving. You're like this runaway train. So it could be that too. So there was a little bit of minimizing that. Mm -hmm. I'm just out of of shape and extremely stressed out. But Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember it was like 22 years old was yeah. when I was like, okay, something's not right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So so you kind of hit on it a little bit, Lou, but you know, that process of diagnosing and like gave that diagnosis and, and getting treatment, what was that like for you? Oh yeah. Okay. This is the part <laughs> where it like it gets so emotional for me because it actually took yeah. over ten years for me to get a diagnosis. Wow. And it was just a lot of um a, a lot of advocating for myself and o- almost having to tell myself I'm not I'm not losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so after my cardiologist, um, that first actually he wasn't a cardiologist. Now that I think about it, I think he was just family medicine. Gotcha. After he proposed the idea that there might be something happening with the old ticker, um, I said, okay, you know, consider that. But then I said, okay, let me get my first job. Let me get established and then we'll get going. That's Later I'll have time for my, to figure out why my heart doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> right now it's career time. Get the bag. As the <laughs> yes. So I started career. And so when I moved, um, across the country that's when i did start i started the journey officially i would tell people okay these are my symptoms um and they said well let's do an ekg which is just tracking the electrical activity mm-hmm. of course that showed up normal um let's do a, um an echo and the echo did show that i did have some leaky valves but nothing fully to explain the intensity of what I was feeling. Yeah. And so I did a couple of those and nothing. And then I finally did, they finally had me do a stress test where um, for the listeners, you pr- they pretty much hook you up to a bunch of wires, which um, hook up to something that's kind of watching your heart activity. Mm-hmm. And they put you on a treadmill and pretty much say, go for it, run. And run as fast as you can for as long as you can. I think they taper you in. Uh-oh, did I hit something? Okay. Um, Yeah, but they taper you in. And I remember, again, I wouldn't last long on this during the stress test. They would get the results back and say, everything is normal. You're just anxious. Yeah. Um, And I was like, no, I know what anxiety is (laughs) like. You know, just finished studying it. I have actually lived with it. (laughs) This is something different. This is only happening when... You exert yourself. When I'm exerting Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And so for years went through that. Um, Took a pause and then maybe five, six years into it, it was getting worse. I remember going to a doctor. He said the same exact thing um, about it being anxiety. And it was getting to a a point where I was actually fibbing on my... um, what is it? The applicate, not application, or the paperwork. the paperwork? Yeah, you had to go in. They would say, "What are your listed um, like conditions and stuff?" And I would not put anxiety and or depression or any mental health thing on it because mm-hmm. I figured, let me go ahead and isolate this mm-hmm. solely to something being physical mm-hmm. um, because I do not want them. I don't want them biased yeah. and immediately tossing it out. Which again, listeners, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that. But I was young yeah. and. 
Um, and again, kind of working in secret because I didn't really want to tell my parents this was happening oh, wow. either. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, I didn't want to worry them, especially because yeah. I was far from home. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I met um, this um, doctor. She was wonderful. She actually specialized and advocated for women in heart health. Oh, and wow. I remember her telling me that oftentimes women's heart heart conditions tend to go undiagnosed mm-hmm. big time because... Mm-hmm. Sad to say, a lot of times people might say anxiety and such. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not solely to that, it's not exclusive to that, but that was our conversation when I kind of told her my journey. Mm -hmm. And long story short, several stress tests, an angiogram, which um, an angiogram is pretty much they put you under and they thread a... um, kind of a, a catheter or a wire through and they pretty much test to see the efficiency of your heart flow and such so um, it goes through your major artery your femoral artery um, it is not fun mm, that yeah. angiogram didn't show anything she said worry not we're going to do a more invasive one. Oh, they sent me to my other cardiologist in Stanford and she was wonderful, and they did a cardio um, an, uh, angiogram that also simulated a stress test as well. Oh, oh wow. wow! Yeah, so it was going to watch what the heart does, see the flow, and everything like that. But then they were also going to mimic my heart racing, like as if I was in a stress oh, test. I don't like that. Oh no, and I didn't either. So it was conscious sedation, so oh, I was no. out, but I could wake up if needed. And I do remember at some point I woke up in the middle of the test, <sighs> and I felt like somebody was river dancing, Irish dancing yeah. on my chest yeah. oh, or wow. hip hop, whatever it was. I just felt this major pressure. I felt so sick. And I remember telling my doctor, I'm like, I think I'm going to die. She's mm-hmm. just like, no worries. It's just us. We're pumping up your heart. And I remember looking over and seeing my heart rate on the monitor to, it looked like 180 or something. Wow. And then she said, just hold on for a second, sweetie. I'm like, okay, doc. Um, And then she said, we found it. We know what's going on. And I remember that was the last thing I heard before I said, so I'm not crazy. She's like, you're not crazy. And I think I woke up in the recovery room again. Wow. What a moment. I know. As I'm saying this, like I'm feeling that emotion coming up again because like after 10 some odd years, somebody was finally validating that. I wasn't losing my mind and something was wrong and it wasn't associated with anxiety or anything like that. So that was my journey. I am still part of the research um, study because they're still trying to figure out where is this coming from? Why is this popping up in young women um, at this time period? And so I'm just so grateful um, for the journey because it did teach me a lot. But that was my journey. Wow, Lou. Thank you so much for sharing. I know I'm (laughs) a little teary-eyed too. Um, I think that, you know, listening to you, I'm just struck with like how brave you had to be to get the answers, you know, and how persistent. And sometimes the diagnosis comes from numbers on a chart and sometimes it comes in a different way that's really scary and and we have to do brave things to advocate for ourselves sometimes in our health and and i'm just so proud of you um for for doing that because you're definitely worth it and and you deserve those answers so thank you yeah i did bring my parents in finally after okay (laughs) 
actually before the angiograms did, I finally revealed everything that had been happening. They were upset that I had fair, it. Fair, fair. You know, yeah. so we worked that out. But it was very great to have them on the journey. My mom was a cardiac nurse after all, too. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, she, you know, they, they were instrumental in kind of pushing that journey a little bit, too. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Denny? What do you remember of your getting your diagnosis? Oh, wow. We're going to go straight into that. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it's so hard to figure out where it started and then where it ended. I don't. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, we were referred to a cardiologist. I hated it. I yeah. hated it. It was horrible. It was really interesting because, um, you know, I remember that, you know, daddy took you to see your your regular pediatrician yeah um because you were still a minor at the time and um and they said uh she needs to see a cardiologist immediately and and we i think we got an appointment that week because they called because we were like oh okay you know usually when you're referred to a specialist to get checked out it's like ah, you know go make an appointment whatever and and your pediatrician's office actually made the appointment with the cardiologist for us and we're like you're gonna you know take her in right away um yeah i don't remember any of that <laughs> yeah you were really sick and and i don't know if you remember you had to wear the heart monitor i do mm-hmm. remember that that yeah. sucked oh, it that, does it i does was gonna suck. ask did you get it oh my goodness yeah how long did you have of it for um i had like three sessions with the halter monitor okay. so three sessions for three okay. nights yeah, yeah. Oh, okay no that was different it was stuck to my chest and then i just left Oh, like they inserted it in? They did not. It was stuck. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had that one. But yeah, yeah, so I just had to self-administer it. But at three times for a couple of No, um, nothing was administered. It was just a patch. Yeah, yes. I think you guys talk about the same thing. Yes. Yeah, so so it's just the hookup to the to the monitor yeah. and then oh. send it in. Yeah. Okay, you okay, did okay. three rounds with it, and it yeah, like, mm-hmm. and we did one, um, and that's actually how we got the diagnosis. Nice. Was, um, nothing was wrong with the rhythm, was, so they were yeah. like. Yeah, but you did have a couple of episodes that they were able to record. Yeah, I hit the button. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, you know, the instructions <laughs> for us was, you know, to hit the button when you're feeling that, you know, that feeling in that episode. And so they were able to link that and give us a diagnosis. Um, we didn't find any medicines that were successful mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in helping. And so treatment was a little bit different. Yeah, they like drink water eat salt yeah eat food and i'm like i'm trying yeah we needed a little bit more help um, yeah. than that mm-hmm. i don't know how much you remember of um i remember a lot of appointments yeah, yeah. and they yeah. wanted to do a um what was the scan they wanted like a like a the scan with the they wanted to do that um like a I don't remember exactly. Like I don't remember exactly. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, they wanted echo. to do an echocardiogram, and I was like, no. Yeah. Because at yeah. that point, I had given up. I was like, yeah. And, yeah. and you were really sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were really sick. I couldn't stay sitting up in appointments. I had to mm-hmm. lay down. Um, mm-hmm. They were yeah. doing all those hookups to the EKG. They weren't finding you anything, yeah. but they were still doing them. And I was losing weight, and I had to stop going to school, and I couldn't see any of my friends, and I couldn't no. do anything. Yeah. That's why, um, like you mentioned, that jazz band concert, that was like my last-ditch effort, because I was getting to play drum set for that piece, mm-hmm. and that was a huge deal to me. And so I'd finally gotten the position I wanted, and it mm-hmm. was my year. And 
then through the song i start feeling like oh wow i'm gonna pass out and i'm like nope no you're not you can do this uh-huh. <laughs> and so i got to the point where i was laying down on one of the toms mm-hmm. and then just holding my arm up to the side and hitting the symbol to keep the beat and my director's like looking over at me like where did she go and like my mom comes over my drum teacher comes over he's like it's okay like i can take over and i'm like i got it i'm fine good yeah Yeah. we'll finish song we'll finish song i I hear you on that we'll finish i remember being at an event like a comp or something like that and i was i mean in the middle of a performance Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna pass out and then i said i will not pass out Mm -hmm. you have 45 seconds dig in right yeah. like i can do this i will do, do this, this. Yes. white knuckle through it but uh-huh. obviously that didn't work um not when your your body doesn't no. uh, <laughs> want to participate in that so so we what we ended up doing was um there are there's a clinic in in texas and uh, we we ended up talking to a lot of people we did a lot of research um you did a lot of research denny even you know as a high school student i don't remember any of that yeah i yeah i think i think you were really really sick <laughs> um and so um we ended up uh getting you treatment about i think it was like four months treatment um with mm-hmm. a, a center that specifically treats pots and so you know, we have Vandy um, near where we are, and then there's the Mayo Clinic, um, but this place takes some of their difficult ta- uh, cases and had good reviews, and and it was a lot of work. Um, it was hours yeah, just spent in bed. Mm-hmm. Like, we would have hour-long sessions where we would practice standing. Yeah. Oh, Like, okay. from a sitting position, you would get hooked up to these electrodes so mm-hmm. you could see your heart rate and your breathing, so you'd have, like, a, a chest band on. And then you would stand up mm-hmm. and then watch it and then sit back down. Mm-hmm. And you'd practice breathing specifically a certain way when you stood up. Like wow. breathe out when you stand up, mm-hmm. breathe in when you sit down. We would sit at a table and like kick our legs like we were in swim class, mm-hmm. like flutter kicks <laughs> and see our heart rate. And it was all about trying to sink your your heart rate back to your your breath to get it mm-hmm. to go down mm-hmm. when you're when you were exhaling so it was a lot That's of cool. biofeedback mm-hmm. a lot of uh, nutritional things so so what would you each say um was the hardest part about like your journey with your heart condition you know either the you know psychological side emotional side the physicality of it um you know what was the hardest part for you I was, you know, checking my notes again. <laughs> I, say. Um, I would say, honestly, the um, the journey to getting the diagnosis was the yeah. hardest part, um, just because it was so discouraging. And like Denny said earlier, there was one point where I was just like, no, I don't want another echo. I don't want another, you know, $400 bill. I don't want mm-hmm. another, no, 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 no more. So um, the journey, so kind of pushing through and not being discouraged by that. Um, and that just kind of overcoming that sense of hopelessness when another report would come back saying nothing's wrong with you. And yeah. I'm like, can you guys stop saying that because something is wrong? Mm-hmm. Um of course, you know, things change. And again, with encouragement, I was able to get past that. But um, I would say, yeah, that was the hardest part. And then also um, the dealing with the secrecy of it. Once I did get diagnosed and people in my close circles knew, um, I didn't want people outside of it to know Mm -hmm. just because um, 
in my brain, even though I know that it was irrational and that's not how it works, I did not want people to see it as a weakness or something that could be used against me. Yeah. Just because, you know, anxiety had been used against people like, oh, like if she makes this decision or if she has this response, it's not because of what's happening. It's because she, because of that thing. And so I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am not. Not again. uh Uh-uh. Especially because, I mean, I was in height of my career. I was in administration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, still am. Now that I'm a little older, now I'm just like, oh, uh, yeah, people live with this stuff and still can do, like, Mm -hmm. great things. But, you know, being in your 20s and stuff, dealing with it, I was like, oh, no, no, no. You guys will see me as the epitome of health, okay, (laughs) and perfection. And so the secrecy, um, kind of working with it and Mm -hmm. um, dealing. So I think that would be the hardest thing, the diagnosis and the secrecy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. How about you, Denny? Um, I thought really hard about this one. It was a hard one to answer. I think there wasn't just, I can't pinpoint one hardest part just because I feel like, Oh, the microphone fell. Um, I feel like each part was a different kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the first finding out and it was like fresh and it was isolating and, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And then, you know, like you said, the hopelessness of just being like, it's never going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality that it never will get fixed because there is no cure yeah. and yeah. there is no way to make it go away. And then, you know, starting to to get better once we started that treatment from Texas and building a little bit of a life around it and then starting to grow that. And I think at every step, I just feel like it feels unfamiliar because nothing is the same. As soon as I get used to being one way, mm-hmm. it changes. And so it's like, okay, I'm I'm better. And then you get a really bad episode and you're like okay, so I'm really sick. And then the next day you might feel better or maybe Mm -hmm. the next week. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't have any reference point. And so, you know, I, I could, I don't have anything that's, um, permanent. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, as a 19 year old, there's Mm -hmm. so much of your life that's changing and, um, not knowing from one day to the next, you know, how you're going to feel. Your classes change every semester. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. professors change. <laughs> you know, um, that can be, that's a lot of flexibility and agility. I don't think I was that flexible and natural when I was starting college. No. And so that's a lot. I don't know. I think, I think it just is, um, it's just tricky to navigate. Yeah. So I I would hope that it would get easier, but I, I kind of think that it's just going to be different challenges at different parts. Yeah. And then I'll just I think have that's to. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, oh. I think I'll just have to figure it out over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the process of you yeah. know growing into adulthood, but mm-hmm. also you have kind of some extra you know extraordinary challenges. So so what do you both? Um, 
feel like has helped you to get where you are today with your condition? I think so many times when we're, we're hearing people's stories, we really want to put a bow on it, mm-hmm. right? We really want it. And then I was fine. Right. I did this one thing and it was super hard and then I lived happily ever after. But I think, you know, part of what we're talking about today is, you know, living with these things in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and both of you, you know, have kind of, it sounds like, brought your condition alongside you. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, like that. that's really hard to to accept it into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so what, what's helped you guys get to where you are today, which, like Danny said, will be different a year from now <laughs> or six months from now, you know, yes. whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I can definitely attest to that, especially like I, I feel like I've taken this my little friend along with me during various stages and it's true it does it does change mm-hmm. quite a bit um time grace and self-compassion definitely I love that have been so helpful um because I think it ties into the the question that you just asked before what was the hardest part something Denny had said um and what has helped uh, that that acceptance because I did realize that and I did have a moment where I had to um, work through that, but I I had to accept that I had a ceiling when it came to certain yeah to certain things. some limitations some limitations yeah. and that that one was hard to deal with, especially considering the things that absolutely bring me light and joy mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my in my life. And so once I was able to, it, it forced me to start that process of acceptance sooner than later, especially because I'm like. Dang, there's no cure for this. Like, and yeah. on top of that, it's there's been, no bow. There's no bow, <laughs> yeah. and then they're still doing research. And so, mm-hmm. all I have mm-hmm. is like, whatever's online, including Reddit. Again, do not go to Reddit. Don't go yeah. to Reddit. Reddit. Please yeah. don't. Don't, go to Reddit. <laughs> don't do it. Um, and so, like that acceptance, but definitely um, as well as time, yeah. um, patience with medical professionals. Mm-hmm. I've had to mm-hmm. really, and that was hard. Um, a little bit of forgiveness in that area too, mm-hmm. um, that self-compassion, and then also practicing that vulnerability that it is okay. Like you, you have yeah. a chronic uh, a chronic condition. That's all right. As a matter of fact, I gifted myself last year the cutest medical alert bracelet ever. Oh, I love. I said because for yes. years my friends was just like, "How will people know?" I said, "Listen, when your time is up, your time is up." And I realized yeah. that's not good. No. It's not good. <laughs> no. It's no. not. So got me a cute little one. So, but again, these are those small steps yeah. to helping in my journey. Wait, is that it? This is it. It's oh. my little rose. Of- <gasps> Twinsies. Okay. Listeners, they are You're comparing medical oh bracelets right now. <laughs> Hers is so cute. Um, but yeah, those were the steps I took in like that acceptance. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's difficult without a chronic condition to allow all parts of yourself to mm-hmm. be seen and to be present, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just when you're with yourself. And so, you know, it's kind of even a little bit more challenging, you know, with this. Mm-hmm. How about you, Denny? What do you think has helped you get to where you are today? Wow. Um, I think, I mean, it's going to sound cliche, but journaling. Um, I, I journal a lot, and that a lot of times that helps me sort out how I'm feeling and what thoughts are true and what thoughts are not. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I think, I think just remembering that I'm a whole person yeah yeah because chronic illness like like any other um 
you know, um, mental condition or physical or anything that that's makes life a little bit harder. It feels like it's defining because it touches mm-hmm. everything in your life, from your mental health to your physical health to your activities to how people see you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think it helped to just find one thing that I could do. And for me, that was writing because I had to be in bed so much. And that gave me a little bit of a um, an out, like something that I could express myself through so that I wasn't just one thing. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I don't think I would have made it if I didn't have at least one thing that was mine because mm-hmm. nothing else was, you know. Yep. It gave you a little bit of control, it sounds like. I also think one way that I've watched you feel like you have more power and control is just through the research that yeah. you've done. <laughs> Obviously, as you get older, you, you know, are consuming more and more of those type of things. But, um, you know, I think that your vocabulary about your condition, and even just since I've known you, Lou, your vocabulary about your condition is really expanded um, just in the conversations that we've had. And so I think that's one thing I really admire about both of you is, you know, if you know what's happening and you can name it, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're at a point, it seems like with what I've experienced with the two of you where you can kind of head it off at the pass. Mm-hmm. And and then sometimes you just kind of like strap in and, and you know, uh, are there out. for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really even impressed with the way that you both, you know, haven't, you know, just kind of like accepted it, you know, <laughs> with a fatalistic attitude of like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that. So, so starting with you, Denny, um, if you could go back to your younger self, <clears throat> back in that that part where you were still in the diagnosis, realizing something was wrong, um, and give like a word of wisdom or encouragement, you know, what would that be? I I thought about this one, and I I don't know that there's anything that I could say because I wasn't ready to listen at that point. Mm, good point. But I think just seeing that I'm still here and yeah. that I'm able to physically stand up yeah I think I think that would be enough because I just wanted to know that I was gonna make it through mm-hmm. yeah yeah how about you Lou I actually wrote this one down because it was <laughs> what I told myself it was uh, girl do not let anyone make you question what you are feeling do not give up you know yourself Mm, I love that. That came from actually when you just talked about that fatalistic, just like laying yeah. down. Yeah. That actually Which came of that. We need a moment sometimes. It's yes. okay to take a moment. Well, yeah. I had the the monitor, the heart mm-hmm. monitor, strapped in, and again, nothing was reading. And I remember I told my friend, "I'm I'm done." Yeah. And so we went for a run up the hill because she was just like, "Oh no no, we're gonna trigger this thing. Let's go." <laughs> and so we went up and down the hill, and I almost honestly thought that I'm about to die on this side of the hill. And I just remember laying down in the grass on the ground. And for anyone who knows me, that that is like almost my rock bottom. Yeah. I'm not a germaphobe. I'm just very aware. <laughs> You're just aware. very aware. I don't do germs. nature, but I'm very aware. <laughs> but I just lay there and I told her, I was like, I can't do this. Like maybe mm. I am losing it. Maybe okay. I'm making all of this up. And I remember she told me, she's like, you know yourself, yeah. get up. And I remember thinking, I do. I'm not gonna give up on this one. And so that's what I would have told my younger self even mm. before 
getting to that point in the journey, which was on the tail end of getting the diagnosis, do not give up. Don't make it. Pe- don't mm-hmm. let anyone question yourself because you know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So, so for each of you, you know, people who are listening, they may or may not have something <laughs> that feels similar. But I think, you know, we all experience certain emotions of like discouragement or challenges and difficulty and things that seem really overwhelming. So, what do you hope that listeners walk away from from hearing your story today? For them to listen to their heart. Oh, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Um, But no, seriously, like listen to yourself. Um, Like stay attuned. Like oftentimes the message is there. Sometimes it needs sorting through. That's why it's great to have um, a trusted group of people um, in your in your life and um, being able to again put those words to things that you're experiencing as well. But the first step to that at least for me was listening to yeah. what was happening mm-hmm. inside and slowing down yeah um especially because you know you want life to continue happening and mm-hmm. it will but maybe you might have to go about it a different way mm-hmm. and that's okay and it's also okay to stop for a moment and reassess yeah um so listen. and you deserve it yeah, yeah exactly so like listening stopping yeah. when needed slowing down is okay um but yeah listening to yourself i love that how about you denny um i think i think maybe i would want the listeners to know that to um see yourself as a person mm-hmm. um which sounds you know it sounds kind of simplistic but I think that I think that when you see yourself as a human being and not just in like have your your view of yourself as like oh yeah and then I do this and I do that and I feel this way and it's like view yourself as somebody that you know like a friend mm. and think about the compassion that you would show them and how you see them and how they're not just one thing and they aren't allowed just one feeling and so I think if you're able to remove yourself a little bit, uh, it helps you be a little bit more compassionate to yourself and be like, yeah, I, I do deserve good things because I would want that for somebody else. And, and yeah, I am kind of cool. Like, wow, that was hard. And I, I did that. And um, yeah, let's try this thing, you know, just like kind of remove yourself a little bit so that you can... Um, see see the whole the whole you yeah i think it's the hardest to be a good friend to yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're that. always kind of trying to figure that out well thank you both for being here um lou i just love you so much and um you're just such a light and um yeah i'm so grateful for you sharing this you know your story is you know so precious and i know that privacy is something that you know is something that you love so i really value this and Mm. and i know what a privilege it is um for you to share it in this space and denny of course i love you i love you too and i'm so proud of you and so proud of you know everything that you've done with your life and and how you're still living in a big way I'm trying. Yeah, I mean, I think New York City is pretty big. It doesn't get much bigger than New York. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of you. Um, So I also want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode. I know that many of you are listening and resonating with the stories you heard today. Or maybe your experience feels very different, but the emotions and difficulty feel familiar. 
I just want to encourage you to find spaces where your own story can be held and given the support and love it deserves. Be gentle with yourself and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to How Would You Rate Your Pain? Please subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you never miss an episode. And if this show made you think of someone, please share it with them to help us grow. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Bartell. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore happy underscore therapist underscore. This show is not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of therapy or other mental health services. Please consult with your doctor or mental health provider about your own health. You deserve all the support. How Would You Rate Your Pain is co-produced by Wavelength Studios and Chattanooga Podcast Studios and is part of the Podnooga Network. Graphic design provided by Josh Wilhelm at JW Creates and music by Michael Crosa. I'm Dr. Tiffany Bartell. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time right here on How Would You Rate Your Pain. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.